The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to go to the book of Acts this morning, and we hope to continue to look at the expansion and the growth of the kingdom of God in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the first chapter of the autobiography of the church and of the kingdom of God. And as Primitive Baptist, I hope that you tell people that the word primitive means original, and we are the original Baptist, so this is our history, the first book of the history of the autobiography of the church and of the kingdom of God. And one thing we want to highlight as we kind of have broad strokes overview of the book of Acts and then focus on specific um, attributes of the environment that should be exhibited in the kingdom of God, as we kind of go through this overview, we want to highlight the, just the amazing way that God was adding to his kingdom, that he was multiplying his kingdom. And that's what we should see in the kingdom of God today as well. We should see growth and we should see advancement. And we hope that God would bless us in our church and in the kingdom as a whole to see that. We find in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost that <clears throat> the apostles are, are filled up with the Holy Ghost in the special way to speak in tongues that they did not have formal training in and we see just the power of the Holy Ghost in preaching and that's all what it boils down to it, it boils down to the movement and the power of the Holy Ghost and bold public preaching you, we can't just simply preach to the people that are already baptized on Sunday we can't just preach to the people who already know no the way the kingdom expands is by God giving us the guidance of His Spirit to broadly and, and publicly proclaim the good news of the gospel. And we see the amazing effect of that when the Spirit of God is moving and, and God's people are blessed to preach in demonstration of the Spirit and power. We find in Acts chapter 2 and verse 41 that 3,000 souls were added to the church. And then we have the blessed environment in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 through the end of the chapter that they continued steadfastly in the apostles doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers and the effects that we highlighted last week and then we find in this amazing environment of the early church that the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved so you have this, uh, this original influx of 3,000 people and they are in fellowship and they're in unity and they're upholding the truth of the gospel of salvation by grace alone. They're devoted in their private prayers. They're also devoted in public collective prayers as the church body. They're fellowshipping together daily and the Lord honored that by adding to the church daily. Then we have the healing of the lame man at the temple in Acts chapter 3 and Peter has given this audience to boldly preach, again, by the power of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> and he is dragged off to prison. And as on one side of the stage, Peter is dragged off to be thrown in prison by the Sanhedrin. On the other side of the stage, you have 5,000 men asking to join the church. And one of the themes that we see all throughout the book of Acts... We see all throughout the history of the kingdom of God. We talked last year, later last year, about open doors. And the Apostle Paul said that he was in Ephesus. He referenced this in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, that I'm going to remain in Ephesus until Pentecost because an effectual open door has been opened for me, but there are many adversaries, okay? And he's going to later say in Acts chapter 14, hopefully we'll get there today, <clears throat> he goes through on his first missionary journey. He goes and he encourages 
he, these uh, disciples. He preaches to them. He baptizes them. But then the, the Apostle Paul is, is threatened, and even when he's in uh, Lystra, he's stoned and left for dead. And then when he goes back in the same route that he came, he encouraged them that through much tribulation, they have to enter into the kingdom of God. And if we desire the kingdom of God to be advanced, we have to be willing to sacrifice something for the kingdom. And I just praise God for America and the First Amendment protections that we have. That There's going to have to be a lot of stuff happen uh, for those First Amendment rights to be fully vanquished. And we certainly pray that by God's grace and providence, those First Amendment religious protections will be advanced. So hopefully the Lord will continue to preserve us during this time for us to be protected from governmental persecution. But persecution, we're going to see with Stephen in Acts chapter 6 and 7 as he's the first martyr of the church, a faithful deacon publicly preaching to the enemies of the gospel, and he loses his life for that. There's a quote that has been commonly circulated among Christianity, and if you look at the history of the book of Acts, if you look at the history of the Baptist church throughout all ages, it is a very true statement that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Every time that, the, that there is severe persecution, even to the degree that God's people are called upon to lay down their life the way that Christ voluntarily laid down his life for us for the cause of truth and righteousness. Every time you see those type of devoted disciples that are willing to give their life for the kingdom, you always see in the aftermath of that an amazing growth and expansion in the kingdom. I, w I think every primitive Baptist needs to have quite a few books. Every Christian needs to have quite a few books. You need to have, well, I say, I say you need to have it. Nowadays, there, some of these are uh, uh, more accessible digitally. Uh, I use my Strong's Concordance on my phone. But just as a primitive Baptist, I think you need to have a Strong's Concordance. A Webster's 1828 Dictionary. But something else that you need to have is Fox's Book of Martyrs. You need to understand. You need to read the history of, of the true church and those people that were willing to sacrifice their entire lives for the kingdom of God, that the kingdom would be advanced. And just in case, because we, we haven't experienced any type of persecution other than maybe a little bit of ridicule, when you're struggling with even that little bit because we, we're just not tough enough to be used to any degree of persecution, when you read those books, you just have to say, Lord, please forgive us for not being as devoted as these past disciples were, that they were willing to give all. They were willing to give all for the kingdom. And we need to know that history. And we need to know the, the pattern and the example that our forefathers were willing to sacrifice. But the point that I want you to understand, though, is number one, as the kingdom is advancing, there is always going to be many adversaries. There's always going to be challenges. There's always going to be tribulation. I sent out <clears throat> to you through in our church group me uh, some of my notes on the book of Revelation, and I've had a good bit of understanding on that recently, and, and at least it was encouraging to me, and if you've looked at it, maybe it's been encouraging to you. But I believe that the book of Revelation is essentially telling the same story from five different perspectives. And you have to understand that that original church there, <clears throat> in uh, the original recipients of that, the uh, members of the seven churches of Asia in that first century, they were not just encountering persecution, some of them had already compromised, like Laodicea, but those that were holding, holding the line, Smyrna. He said to Smyrna that some of you are going to give your life for the kingdom. And then in Pergamos, Antipas had already been killed for the kingdom. And what he's teaching them there in the book of Revelation is that we are part, as the kingdom of God, we are part of this larger story that's been ongoing since the Garden of Eden. 
And what it is, is Satan against the seed of the woman. Okay? It is the kingdom of darkness versus the kingdom of God. It is Jesus Christ versus the dragon. And the beautiful story of the book of Revelation is that, yes, things look bad in the moment. Yes, there are challenges in the midst of that. And, and the dragon and the beast and the false prophet, they make war with the lamb and they make war with the saints. And it appears that they're overcoming them for a period of time. But then the lamb comes back and he destroys them and he casts them all into the lake of fire. And that's what we need in the midst of persecution, right? Is to be reminded that we're on the winning side, and, and what's so beautiful about this is they're encountering persecution. But every time they encounter persecution, we see the kingdom of God not just advancing, but triumphing over the, the onslaught of Satan every single time that they encounter persecution and even martyrdom. And the very first instance of this here is, is as these disciples are being thrown into prison for the very first time. 5,000 people are added to the kingdom, you see? That's what happens when people are willing to sacrifice and be fully invested to put the kingdom of God truly first and foremost in their life. They're thrown in prison. 5,000 people are added to the church. We highlighted last time the amazing prayer that they had for boldness and the Lord answers that prayer with an earthquake and they're filled up with the Holy Ghost. You have this unity in the church that are unity and generosity and, and charity that they're willing to give of their own to help those that are standing in need. Then they're thrown back in prison and the Lord lets, lets them right back out of prison. Chapter 6 Well, we want to highlight before we get to chapter 6, chapter 5 and verse 14. Again, miracles that were being done, lives that were being changed by the kingdom, lives that were being changed by the gospel, and believers were the more added to the Lord. Multitude. So there was a period of time where they're given numbers, right? 3,000, 5,000. The Lord's adding to the church daily. But the Lord is expanding his kingdom so vastly, it's, it's almost like the numbers were getting too big they couldn't count anymore. It's just multitudes. Multitudes were being added. But then by the time you get to Acts chapter 6 and in verse 1, the disciples were multiplied. Multiplied. So you go from 3,000 being added. And we know that when you start multiplying things, numbers get really big really quick, Right? 10 plus 10 is 20, but 10 times 10 is 100. Those numbers start getting big very quickly. It's just, it's just kind of mind-boggling about the thousands of people that were probably here in this church in Jerusalem. I mean, conservatively, we could probably easily say 20,000, but I think it very easily could have been bigger than that, 30,000, 40,000, especially since the Lord is adding multitudes, and it's not just being added, it's being multiplied. <clears throat> They're caring for the widows in the community. They're providing for their daily needs because the widows had no ability to take care of themselves if their children did not take care of them or their families. And the, the church was committed to doing that as we ought to be and help those where we can. And the disciples said, we're spending too much time handing out bread. We need to make sure we're focused on our true calling which is Acts chapter 6 and in verse 4, to give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word, and you have the appointment of the first seven deacons, and then the, the proper allocation of duties in the body of Christ. And when that happens, when the disciples and the apostles are able to fully invest themselves in the ministry and in prayer, we see this, again, amazing expansion here. Acts chapter 6 and in verse 7, the word of God increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. They just multiplied, multiplied greatly. And many people were converted. A great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Many faithful Jews were being, were being 
converted to the church. Then you have, through the rest of chapter 6, and then the sermon in pretty much all of chapter 7, of Stephen, who's a faithful deacon. And we're going to find that one of these deacons, Philip, received an additional certification, so to say, an additional ordination, uh, because we find Philip baptizing in Samaria in Acts chapter 8. The rest of the five deacons we don't know anything else about other than their faithful service in Acts chapter 6. But Stephen, though, we're not necessarily told that he had another appointment or another ordination like Stephen. It kind of gives the picture that he's just a good man. He's, he's full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and he's doing what all children of God should do, and that's just letting his light shine in the community and talking to the people he knows about the good news of Jesus Christ. And inevitably, with him doing that, he stirred up the council and the people around us, around him, and they started accusing him of blasphemous words. And then he just stands up and he defends the truth. He knows the Old Testament. He pretty much gives one of the best summaries of the whole Old Testament in, in the entire Bible. He, he knew the Bible backwards and forwards. And he was caught on the carpet and he, uh, as we're commanded to do in uh, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, then we need to uh, sanctify the Lord in our heart and be ready always to give an answer of the hope that's in us with meekness and fear. That's what Stephen was ready to do when the, uh, the enemies of the church were persecuting him. And then we know what happens with Stephen, right? He's stoned to death. The first martyr of the church, which is a very important benchmark uh, in the 70 weeks prophecy, I believe. There's a period of time. You've got the three and a half three and a half year ministry of Jesus Christ, but then you have this three and a half year period where the ministry is primarily focused on the Jews and that shifts after the death of Stephen and even though we don't have historical benchmarks of this, I think you can make a strong case that that's that three and a half year benchmark that completed that 70 weeks period of ministering primarily to the Jews before they went to the Gentiles. But what's amazing about all of these instances, and hopefully we can highlight these today, about how in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of martyrdom, how the Lord takes these wicked devices of Satan and he uses them to have his kingdom triumph. Isn't it amazing that this, this horrible instance of Stephen being persecuted and slain and martyred for standing up for the cause of Christ, we're told that the men that stoned him, that Saul of Tarsus consented to his death, and they put their coats at the feet of Saul, and then he institutes this horrible persecution. What does the Lord do with arguably the worst enemy of the church at this time? What does he do? He turns him into the greatest apostle in the early church. How about that? Talk about the Lord overcoming the wickedness of Satan, right? Satan desires, he's trying to stamp out the kingdom. He's trying to stamp out the church. And one of his main agents in doing that is Saul of Tarsus. And the Lord said, you know what? I'm just going to have him switch teams by the power of the Holy Ghost and the power of regeneration. Not only is he not going to be the greatest enemy of the church, he's going to be the greatest apostle in the, in the early church. Before we get there, Acts chapter 8, we have Philip going to Samaria. Well, actually, before we get there, okay, let's just, Acts chapter 8 and verse 1, okay? This is one of the most important things about the expansion of the kingdom of God. Not just in the early church, but for us today as well. Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church that was at Jerusalem. They were scattered abroad throughout all the regions of Judea and Samaria, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation. Saul made havoc of those in the church. Verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Now, remember what it said in verse 1. They were scattered abroad, but who stayed in Jerusalem? The apostles did. 
The apostles did. So who was it that was scattered abroad that went everywhere preaching the gospel? These thousands of the members of the church, the rank and file members of the kingdom of God. And they were just so excited. Again, we talked last time about this is the church in its first love. They were just so excited about the message of the gospel. I mean, they had just got... Uh, you, you have this picture of uh, the lame man in Acts chapter 3 that he's been healed and now he's been lame his whole life and now he's, he's walking and leaping and praising God. Well, you have these Jews that have been walking around with a, a yoke of bondage around their neck their entire life of the law. And now all of a sudden, I have this yoke of bondage lifted off of my neck and boy, I've got all the energy and excitement in the world because I was in bondage. I was in bondage, and now I'm in the liberty of Jesus Christ. I'm just so happy. I want to tell everybody I come in contact with about that. And that's, that's how we all should be. And just so in love with the Word of God and so in love with the gospel, it should be at the tip of our tongue. And I'm ashamed to say that's not my case, but Lord help me to do better. But that's how we should all be. You, you have this, you know, you stamp on an ant bed, and them ants go everywhere, right? That's what happened. They stamped on the ant bed of the kingdom of God that was just, and, and, and uh, I, I just love how the Lord just is always overcoming the devices of Satan, right? One of, one of my favorite book in the, books in the Old Testament is the book of Esther. And Satan, man, he thought he had so many instances in the Old Testament. It's not just about the persecution of the Jews. Satan has been trying to stamp out God's people in the Old Testament because he knew all the way back in the Garden of Eden that there was going to be a seed that was going to come and crush his head. You see, that's why he's trying to kill the Jews all throughout the Old Testament. And Satan, through Haman, thought that he finally had him, right? I have a governmental decree, and nobody can change that but the king, and finally I'm going to stamp out these Jews, and I'm not going to have my head crushed by the Jewish Messiah that's going to come. Well, what did the Lord do? He turned the tables to where Haman was the one that was, that was uh, hung, and then Mordecai was exalted, and they defended themselves against their enemies, and the Jews triumphed in that day. That's what the Lord is always doing. That's what he's been doing since the Garden of Eden, right? Isn't that a beautiful story? That's the story of the gospel. That's the story of all of history, really, is God overcoming all of these wicked devices of Satan. So Satan, in his mind, I have all of the church in one location, right? The church hasn't expanded yet, so I'm going to center all of my persecution on the church here in Jerusalem, and since I got them all in one place, I know I can exterminate them because they're all there together. Well, what did the Lord do? He took that persecution, and he used that to expand the kingdom, right? That's where they went everywhere, preaching the gospel. That's when the kingdom of God really started expanding, was when you had the severe persecution here in Jerusalem. And every member of the church, every child of God, went everywhere preaching the gospel. We'll come back to this in later messages. But all of us have the responsibility of relationship evangelism. We'll explain, explain that more in depth in future messages. Not just evangelism, but relationship evangelism. Because people have to know you. You have to have credibility for them to really take heed to what you have to say. Relationship evangelism is how the kingdom expands. Okay? Okay, now you have Philip going to Samaria. And what did he do? This is the pattern all throughout the whole book of Acts. It's just amazing what the Lord was doing. They show up, they preach, people believe, and they're baptized. Everywhere they go. Everywhere they go. Philip, he goes to Samaria. Another thing we hope to highlight in the future is what, what is the content of the messages that were preached to broad groups in public? Paul said, I'm determined to not know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? That's the, that's the purpose of the gospel. But then at the same time, when he had more time with the Ephesian elders and the Ephesian church, he said, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. 
And that's what we try to focus on on Sunday morning is the whole counsel of God and understanding the word of God as a whole. But when we interact with people outside the church, what is our focus? What is our focus? The focus is Jesus Christ and him crucified. The focus is salvation by grace alone. The focus is Christ. So what did, Paul, what did uh, Philip do when he showed up in Samaria? He preached Christ unto them. That's our focus as we, as we look toward external relationship evangelism. And then what do they do? What do they do? They preach Christ to them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Then they were baptized, verse 12, and when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning, notice, the kingdom of God. He preached Christ, but he didn't just talk about Jesus Christ and him crucified. He told them about the kingdom of God. And when they heard it, they confessed Jesus Christ, and they were baptized, both men and women. So you have this amazing growth now, not just in Jerusalem, but now you have Samaria, and you have this, then, then the apostles come, they lay hands on them, they speak in tongues, the Holy Ghost comes out, the Holy Ghost comes and is manifested on these Samaritans in a special way. And one of the most important things in the kingdom of God is that we're in tune with the Holy Spirit, okay? That we're in tune with the Holy Spirit because in a natural sense, anyone would look at what was happening with Philip and say, why in the world would you leave this amazing revival? This, is, this amazing growth and outpouring in Samaria and Philip felt a burden <laughs> Sometimes the Lord burdens you in a, in a way that may not make a lot of sense. I'm sure it didn't make all the sense in the world to Abraham at the beginning of him leaving Ur of the Chaldees. Go and leave all that you had. It doesn't make a lot of sense in our, in our vantage point for Philip to leave this amazing revival and understand he was just burdened to go out in the middle of the desert. Now, we're going to find a little bit later that it just so happened that there's a unit that's traveling right through there. But he didn't tell him you're going out in the middle of the desert because there's a child of God that's going to be in a chariot that's going to be passing by right when you get there. You're going to preach to a eunuch. He didn't tell him that. Philip leaves this amazing revival and he goes out in the middle of the desert <laughs> and then says, all right, Lord, why am I here? You know? And then right when he says that, there's a chariot coming by. You see, that's how the spirit of God moves in the kingdom, in his providence. But in our mind, we'd be like, Philip, what are you doing? There's a whole lot more preaching that needs to be done with these Samaritans. Look at all these people that are joining the church. But he was in tune with the Spirit to say, I'm going to go out in the middle of the desert and I'm going to see what the Lord has for me. Now, this is why it's so important that we are willing to spend and be spent just for one child of God. Okay? Because history says that this eunuch went... And he was the one that established the church and the kingdom of God in Ethiopia when he got back. So in our mind, we would say, Philip, what are you doing leaving this growth here in Samaria to go out in the middle of the desert, even if you find somebody? Well, actually, it was through God's providence and the direction of the Spirit that he preached the gospel to that eunuch. And then that is how the kingdom expanded all the way down to Africa in Ethiopia. You see that? Then, in Acts chapter 9, we have this detailed account of Jesus Christ borning again, Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, the greatest persecutor of the church, that the Lord turned him to be the greatest apostle in the early New Testament church. And then he immediately goes and preaches in Damascus. The people in Damascus, they heard he was coming. They were terrified of him because he's going to throw us in prison. He's going to compel us to blaspheme. And then he goes immediately and starts preaching in Damascus. Then he makes his way to Jerusalem. And the people are obviously very wary of him. And Barnabas stands up for him. Barnabas, the son of consolation, who's always there in the right place at the right time to put his, show, his 
arm around somebody's shoulder and encourage them. But notice you had this severe persecution in Jerusalem. God regenerates and converts Saul of Tarsus. And what's the effect of that? What's the effect of that? Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost and were multiplied. They were multiplied. The kingdom continued to grow and God removed their greatest source of persecution and made him their greatest preacher. Now they had rest. Then we find that there's healings that's occurring throughout the rest of chapter 9. Again, amazing life changes that are being experienced by the power of the kingdom of God. And we don't have natural healings nowadays, but there should be dramatic life changes and healings in the kingdom of God, people turning from darkness to light and from the wickedness of the world to now faithful discipleship in Jesus Christ. So they see this radical change in the life of someone. In this instance, it's a medical problem. And notice the response. Peter <clears throat> heals here a man that was sick of the palsy. And then the effect of that in verse 35, all that dwelt at Lydda and Saron saw him and turned to the Lord. This is something we can't deny, right? These people have to be kind of like Nicodemus when he was seeing the, the works of Jesus and he said, I know that no man can do the things you do unless he's come from God. Well, that, that's what they saw here in the life of the apostles, right? There's no way that men can do these things. They have to be working by the power and the authority of God. And this is, I saw this guy sick and now he's healed. There must be something powerful about these preachers in the kingdom of God. And that, that turned, now obviously we know all doesn't always mean all, but it, it usually means a majority. It usually means a whole bunch. And it says that they all turned to the Lord because of this amazing power that they saw. Then we have Dorcas, Tabitha, who is resurrected by Peter. And again, we have a similar instance Verse 24, or verse 42 of Acts 9, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. You see? Okay, now we have Peter and Cornelius. Now we have the official, in Acts chapter 10, the official opening of the door to the Gentiles through the gospel. Again, it's incumbent that we're in tune with the Holy Ghost in tune with the Holy Spirit to direct us and guide us for how we are, for God's intended pattern for how we are to expand his kingdom. Because the way that we would think may not be the route that the Lord would have us to go. Uh, we're probably not going to get to Acts chapter 16 today, but Paul thought in a natural sense that I think it makes a lot of sense for us to go into Asia, but the Lord suffered him not. Then he said, okay, I'm going to go into Bithynia. Well, the Lord didn't have that work out either. Now, the gospel came to them later because there were churches established in those areas. But the Lord intended for him at, in that time to go to Macedonia, particularly the city of Philippi, the chief city of Macedonia. And we find that there were some amazing things done there in Philippi, right? But in our mind, the most logical route may not be the route that the Spirit directs us in. Now, do you think that Peter, as he was praying, nevertheless not my will but thine be done, do you think that in his mind he thought the answer to that was going to be that he was going to go preach to Gentiles that day? No. <laughs> no, right? Because in his mind he was just like every other Jew and he's like, no, for some reason the, the uh, teachings of Jesus hadn't sunk in yet that you're going to go and teach all nations. You're going to go, no, you, the, the kingdom is going to expand from, uh, from Jerusalem and then Judea and then Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the world. For some reason, they didn't understand that that's what that meant yet. So he still thought, 
when, it, when he had this vision come down to him, he said, look, my, my hands have never touched anything common or unclean. And God said, what I've cleansed, don't call common. Okay? And also, to expand the kingdom, you have to be willing to have enough courage to do some things that some people might misinterpret and make some bad assumptions before they talk to you. Because, you know, that's what happened in the very next chapter. The Lord blesses Peter in the special way. Thankfully, the Lord directed for some witnesses to go with Peter, so it wasn't just his word. There were other people that verified that the Holy Ghost came down on these Gentiles. But the very next chapter, he goes back to, uh, to the Jews, and they said, what are you doing? How dare you go preach to the Gentiles? What are you doing? He, was, he had enough courage and boldness to go against the grain by the direction of the Holy Spirit. And what happens when he goes and preaches to Cornelius? You have this special outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Cornelius and all of his family and friends are baptized, and that is the official opening of the door <clears throat> to the Gentiles. Okay, making our way to Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. Now they that were scattered abroad. Now this is tying all the way back to Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 4. Okay? They were scattered abroad. They were never were preaching the gospel. Now they that were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phineas and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word none but to Jews only. See, they didn't understand yet what Peter was made to understand by the direction of the Holy Ghost that now the door's been opened to the Gentiles. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. You see, this is the pattern everywhere they go. They preach the gospel. The kingdom is advanced. People join the church. That's how the kingdom's supposed to work. Then they send Barnabas down there. Verse 23 who when he had came, he saw the grace of God and was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they should cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and faith. And much people was added to the Lord. That's the pattern everywhere. Okay, now we go to Acts chapter 12. And now we have a renewal of persecution. Herod kills James, the son of Zebedee. He's slain. And then he's, he's going to kill Peter too. He throws Peter in prison. And this is not just a regular imprisonment. Everyone knows. That's why the church met together and was praying without ceasing for Peter. This wasn't just an imprisonment. Herod was going to chop his head off very quickly. And what does the overcoming power of the kingdom of God do in light of all of this wickedness? Satan is working through Herod, trying to stamp out the kingdom, trying to martyr the apostles. And what does God do? They throw him in prison. God lets him walk out the right, uh, the front door of the prison. And then, I'll tell you, the Lord always defends his people. The Lord always defends his church. Because Herod, he did a wicked deed by martyring James. But then, here at the end of this chapter, Herod, Herod, there was a day and people were exalting him. Verse 22 of Acts 12 the people were exalting him and said, It is the voice of a God and not a man. And immediately the angel of the Lord, it wouldn't surprise me, I mean, we're not told this, but it wouldn't surprise me if this is the exact same angel that let Peter out of prison, who was still hanging around town for a little bit. The same angel possibly that let Peter out of prison, Herod takes this glory for himself. They say it's the voice of a God and not a man. And the angel came and smote him because he gave not God the glory, and he was eaten up of worms and gave up the ghost. You see, that's what the Lord does to people who try to stamp out his kingdom. You see? Just like with Haman. Herod ended up just like with Haman. The kingdom of God is always going to triumph over the kingdom of darkness. Always. Okay, now, now we have the first missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. Now, step one. We'll come back to this later, but, but what's step one in the advancement of the kingdom? Step one is always prayer and waiting on the direction of the Holy Ghost. 
So, here in Acts chapter 13, they were serving the Lord here in Antioch, and they were praying, they were ministering to the Lord. Acts chapter 13, verse 2, they ministered to the Lord and fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Now, I do believe that this was during a unique time period where the Lord probably was speaking to people more directly and more audibly. But nowadays, the Lord's not going to speak to you in a booming voice from heaven. No, He speaks you speaks to you in a still, small voice in your heart, primarily in your... You, the Lord certainly spoke to me in public worship, but He primarily is going to speak to you in your closet, in your prayer time, and your time in reading and studying the Word of God. That's how the Lord directs His people. So... The Spirit moves these men to all be in unity to reach the same conclusion that I have a great work for Paul and Barnabas. And then they ordain them, they lay hands on them as a confirmation that you are going forth with the authority to baptize people into the church. Okay, now they go <clears throat> into these cities. There are healings where they go. There's, there is advancement there is baptisms we're not going to highlight all of these i want to just jump here to antioch and Pisida. they come into the synagogue that was paul's manner i'm going to go and i'm going to interact with these jews and i'm going to go to synagogue and they have their reading and then they open up an opportunity for someone else to do a reading and that's when paul always stood up and he began preaching that jesus christ is the messiah but what's so powerful and what's so amazing about this is they show up here in Antioch he goes to the Sabbath and after one sermon they just showed up in town after one sermon verse 42 the Jews they went out of the synagogue but the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath and then, in verse 44, the next Sabbath came almost the whole city together to hear the word of the Lord. Paul's been in town for eight days. Paul's been in town for eight days, and the whole city knows about it. Boy, that's the power of the Holy Ghost, right? That one sermon, and you want to know what... It wasn't just that not the whole city heard him preach that sermon. He was the buzz of everybody that whole week. You know, there's this guy that showed up that, that started saying that there's a guy that's a Jew that was dead and he's resurrected and he's saying he's the Christ and he said he's going to preach the same thing next week. We really didn't go out and hear what this guy has to say. And the next week, almost the whole city showed up to listen to the Apostle Paul. Now, there are times that he had a lot longer ministry in different places, but he's been there eight days, and the whole city is coming out to listen to him. And then we have this beautiful picture here of God's predestination and that he always has... See, that's why we have to rely on the Holy Ghost, that the Lord always has to blaze the trail ahead of us for, it, for any work to be profitable. The Gentiles, verse 48, heard this and they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. God already had people in the city, already born again children of God that needed more knowledge. And those that heard it in that day, it resonated with their soul. Finally, their head was matching up with their soul. And then in verse 49, the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. Amazing, right? Amazing what the Lord is doing in his kingdom. But then what happens? Verse 50, you got persecution. You got people who don't like it. You have people that used to have control over other people, and now they're losing that control. That was, that was what was so terrifying to these Jews in the Sanhedrin. They weren't godly men. They were whited sepulchers, many of them, and that was their means of power and authority and influence, and they were losing control. They were losing power. And boy, if you start trying to mess with the power structure of the day, people get mad really quickly. You see? So they get so mad, 
that they're, they're ready to persecute, ready to kill them. So what do they do? They just shake the dust off their feet. They go to the next city and preach the gospel. And then, same thing. The multitude of the city was divided. I mean, they're affecting the whole city by Paul just showing up and preaching in power and demonstration of the Spirit. But yet as primitive Baptists, no one knows who we are to our shame, to the ministry's shame, to my shame. Nobody knows who we are. But they are affecting the whole city. Then they go to Derby and Lystra. They heal impotent man. They're and all throughout, you're going to see, we don't have time to highlight all these, but a great multitude was added, 14 and 1. You have people that were believing left and right, desiring to be baptized. Then they leave there and they go to Lystra. And in verse 19, and there came together certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. Now understand, it wasn't the people from Lystra. <laughs> I mean, it's one thing for people to not like you, but this, this tells you how important it is for, to rely on the Holy Ghost to give you boldness because any man would be a little bit nervous when... Okay, these men in two cities ago, yeah, they didn't like me. But they hated me so much that they stopped what they were doing and they followed me to the next town. To they didn't go to work on Monday. Because they hated me so much, we're going to go to the next, next town and try to kill him. These weren't the, the people of Lystra. These were the people from the previous cities that followed him around to kill him. And Paul is stoned. They thought he was dead. He wasn't dead. And then I love how he just gets right back up, goes back to preaching the next day. Goes right back to preaching. Now, if you follow the map of this right here, what happens is they go all the way to the end of a loop in Derby and Lystra, and then they go back the same way they came. You know, if I had just been stoned by people that were from those cities... I think we'd take the shortcut somewhere else, okay? I think, I think I may have dodged those cities. But Paul said, you know what? There were some children of God that heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, and they need to be encouraged regardless of what happens to me. So what did he do? He went back the exact same way he came. And you know what? I'd be a little bit nervous. If I saw, I mean, the, the gospel comes to me in power and in much assurance. I believe it. But you know, I think I'd get a little bit nervous if this preacher who told me about this is stoned and left for dead. You know, that makes you a little bit nervous, right? Am I really willing to commit to this? So he goes back through the same way he came and he encouraged them. In verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith, and this is what we have to understand. If the kingdom is going to be advanced and we're going to enter into the kingdom and we're going to press into the kingdom, it will be through much tribulation. Now, I'm not in fear of being stoned. Praise God. Praise God for the wisdom and the providence of God in the establishment of the Constitution and the Bill of Rights in America. Praise God for his providence and his sustaining providence and blessing us to have that because I'm not afraid of being stoned. But if you're going to press into the kingdom and the kingdom is going to be advanced, there will be tribulation. But the joy in the kingdom, you know, <laughs> he comes back, okay? The Apostle Paul comes back and I would have loved to hear his story of this trip. You know, I, I believe he said, we went everywhere and, and we preached the gospel and these people were baptized. Oh yeah, I was stoned and left for dead. But let me, but let me tell you about all these people that joined the church. Let me tell you about, I mean, he, he, was, he probably would have eventually said, oh yeah, yeah, I was, I was stoned and you know, but I tricked them because they thought I was dead. You know, I played possum on them and, and uh, I tricked them. Uh, 
But his accounting of that story is not going to focus at all on all of the things that he suffered. His story is going to be all about, look at the power of God, right? In advancing his kingdom. And then if Satan can't, if Satan can't hinder the advancement of the kingdom through external persecution, his next route is always internal division. So what happens in the next chapter? You have false teaching that comes in. You have people that are saying you got to be circumcised and you got to obey the law. They're corrupting the gospel. So if external persecution doesn't work, let's start internal dissension. Now, praise God, the Spirit of God moved and the apostles came together and they said, listen, we're going to issue an official statement and say, no, salvation is by grace alone, right? So the Lord conquered over that. Hopefully we can continue through this in the next week, but there's one, one verse I want to highlight. In this next section, Acts chapter 16 and verse 5. And this shows the right balance, I think, between, as it says in, I believe, 2 Peter chapter 3, our desire is to grow in grace and in knowledge of the truth, right? Our desire is to grow individually in our discipleship, have a greater understanding of God's word, a greater devotion to the Lord. And that sets the foundation. That sets the structure. It'd be very foolish to build a house upon a foundation that wasn't settled yet, that had cracks in it. So that sets the foundation for growth. And here I think you have the right allocation of that. So were the churches, first of all, established in the faith. You need to let the concrete of that foundation settle. And then those that are established in the faith, what does the Lord do? They increased in number daily. And that gives you the right <clears throat> perspective of that. We have to, first of all, be established in the faith. We have to <clears throat> remain steadfast to the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and prayers. We focus on what we can control to the best of our ability. I want to be a better disciple of Christ today than I was yesterday. I want to grow in grace and in knowledge of the truth. Us all be established in the faith. And if you do that, if you lay that foundation... That's a, a foundation that can sustain growth. But the Lord's not going to add to a faulty foundation. We have to be established in the faith. And as we're established, the Lord will grow and advance his kingdom because he promised us that don't be weary in well-doing, for in due season you shall reap if you faint not. We pray that God's kingdom will be advanced even through much tribulation. And I pray you'll give us grace to press through that tribulation to the glory of God. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.